All right. Good morning or evening. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians, right? Is that the right book? All right. Study the right thing. Good. Chapters 4 and 5. They're really short, so we'll have time to get through both of those tonight. Sign-up sheet for the Williams family. New baby, Barrett David. Cool names. Whitley, Barrett, and I'm no offense, but John, you know, it's kind of, it's cool names. Anyway, um, and he is here. New baby is here. You can take a look. Can't touch, but you can look. What? New baby is here. Well, don't have to take a look now. You can go afterwards. And then, anyway, so here's a sign-up sheet for meals for their family. Uh, they're here in town. There's their address, so write that down if you pick a date. And then give them a call the morning that you're due to give the date or give the meal on that date, and, uh, and uh, that way they know what time you're coming. So um, what time you guys normally? Oh, where are they? I thought they came in. Oh, it doesn't matter. Five, six, seven, somewhere around there. Anyway, that'll be out there for you to sign up. Okay. All right. Chapter 4, 1 Corinthians. Paul, as he writes to this beautiful church, but a little on the carnal side, a lot on the carnal side, um, is doing some housekeeping with them. Um, they were doing great, but they brought in, and this is the problem, this is what he addresses, they brought in lots of other teachers that had lots of different ideas that got them away from God's Word, um, and now they're off doctrinally. Um, they've been reading a lot of other stuff, they've been getting into a lot of other things, and it gets them off. And so Paul's going to try to bring them back on course. And so he wrote this letter um, with love in his heart, with compassion. Um, and it sounds a little firm in these next two chapters, but he has to be, because they're that far off in their doctrine, that far off in their understanding of, of God. And so um, they started well. They're filled with the Spirit, they're operating in all the gifts, um, but that isn't evidence of correct doctrine or God's pleasure. I think sometimes we get confused about that. We think since things are happening and crazy, awesome, uh, miraculous works are being done in a specific place, that God must be pleased. And that isn't always the case. Um, he likes truth um, with power, but both are necessary. Um, but he'll do things for the sake of getting things done through people. Um, he'll do healings. He'll do signs and wonders. He'll take care of his sheep um, despite the heart of the shepherd. And so Paul is um, trying to bring them back around to the right way of thinking. And so verse 1, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself. Yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. We sometimes quote this verse, uh, or it's used. Um, without the understanding of the context. Paul is saying, you know, don't get too excited about certain things that have been said, taught, or whatever. Time's going to come when God's going to show the hearts of those behind that. And I think you'll maybe look at it differently, is the idea. Because um, his next thing is to step into all the other teachers you brought in that taught you wrong. 
So don't judge rightly or wrongly. See, they had looked at Paul, and we're going to find that later on, as a, as a poor speaker. He didn't do everything they thought he should do. They expected more from him, and they got what they wanted and needed from others. And Paul says, yeah, but um, there's a problem here. He's trying to bring them back um, to where they need to be, to that right way of thinking. He says, and this is important for us to understand the heart of Paul. Later on, he's going to call himself the father of their faith. Um, that someone who's been entrusted with this needs to be a good steward of this. You to be very careful. Um, last week, he discussed how you have to be faithful to build on top of that foundation properly. You need to be a master builder if you're going to build on top of the master. You need to be very careful how you build. You can't just build anything on top of it. Jesus being the rock doesn't mean that you can put anything on top of it. You need to be very careful how you build on that. And that he was leading up to this chapter 4. Um, you can build wrongly. And uh, the foundation will still be there. It'll still be standing. But what you've built will be destroyed. And so be careful how you build on top of that rock. And so he says you need to be found faithful. God's looking for faithfulness. He doesn't necessarily call the equipped, but he equips the called. That's a catchphrase we use a lot of times, but it's very true, and it fits. It's a nice bite-sized thing that you can meditate on. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He picks people that are faithful, picks people that aren't going to steal glory, picks people that um, are humble and broken before him, and then he equips them for the calling that he's given them. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, if you are faithful in little things, Jesus said, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with uh, other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? This is just bringing a very important topic um, up with these guys. Look, you need to be faithful with what God's called you to do, not with what he hasn't called you to do. Just do what he's called you to do and be faithful with that. Um, that's been very important in my life and, and hopefully very important in your life as well. And if it's not, it needs to be. What's God called you to do? And are you faithfully, um, just are you doing your duty with what he's called you to do? A lot of people aren't content with what God's called them to do and they're looking for other things or the next step or maybe an expansion. Um, but that's not our responsibility. Our job is just to do what he's given to us today to do, faithfully. And to do it, faithfully is a funny, <laughs> a funny thing. I think of Philip. Philip was faithful. Well, there's a lot of guys out there faithful. I'm going to pick on Philip, though, as a faithful servant of God. He was faithful when things were big and huge. He was faithful with one. He was faithful when there was a 24-year gap and just raised his family to love the Lord. He was faithful when Paul came to him. He was faithful throughout. We see, it's one of the very few snapshots in the Bible where we see someone who started with the Lord and then years and years and years, decades later, still walking with the Lord, faithful with all sorts of different seasons in his life. But he was faithful. Philip was faithful. God's looking for that. He's looking for you to be faithful. He's looking for me to be faithful in just what he's called us to do. Um, no more, but also no less. And so he says that. We. He's referring to Apollos and himself. And he's going to build on that here in verses 6 through 7. But for right now, I just want to get that across. When he says we, we're, we need to be 
faithful, Apollos and I, with the mysteries of God. We're stewards of it. Steward's a, a big word. It means a lot. It doesn't just mean holding it in your pocket, but using it appropriately. You're a steward of something bigger than yourself. You're a caretaker. You're not the thing, but you do hold it in your hands and you distribute. And they want to be good and faithful in that area. And so it wasn't a small thing to hold that as being a steward of God's truth, of God's mysteries. But he also says, but it is a small thing to be judged by you. They were judging him. They judged him outwardly. They didn't judge him rightly. And he says, I'm, I'm judged by God. I don't even judge myself. I just, I let God do all the judging. If he wants to correct me, if he wants to change course, if he wants to do something, I listen to him and him alone. That's very important. It's very important to listen to God. It keeps you straight. It keeps you true because this world will toss you to and fro. One person's opinion will seem, you know, that seems right emotionally. That seems correct. That seems accurate. I like that. It made me feel good or whatever. And you off our emotions sometimes. And then another person comes up with even a better point. Oh, I like that idea. We can be tossed if we're not careful to ground ourselves in God's word and on him. Keeping our eyes on him and focused on him. Humans are fickle. They fought back and forth on their opinions and their ideas. You know, we don't want to be like that. We want to be solid and grounded in God's word. And so he says, it's a small thing to be judged by you. He's not trying to make them feel bad, but he is trying to put them in a place and sense he's heard things that they've said about him. They've written about him. They've warned other people about him. He's like, guys, it really doesn't bother me. It's not going to change what I need to say here. I'm going to say it anyway. And that's, um, that's important, obviously. I say that a lot, I know. That's important, but it is. It's so important. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. I'm not saying that I, I've examined my life and I found myself perfect. He says, I'm just saying I don't judge myself. I let God judge me. I don't even look at myself. I just do what God's put before me each and every day. And he will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts then each one's praise will come from God, not from man. You know, we look for praise from man sometimes, and uh, we're not to, not to be looking for that. We're supposed to be looking at that from God. What's, God's, what's God going to say about the ministry that he's called me to and my faithfulness of discharging that ministry here on earth? What's God going to say about that? Not what people are going to say. Um, and so he's trying to bring them back to that place. Look, I'm not worried about you, but you need to be worried about me. Verse 6, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes that you, may, uh, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? He's going to get into the gifts of the Spirit as we go through this and their using of those gifts of the Spirit. Um, and he's trying to let them know you're not using them properly and you're puffed up about them when that's not the intent of God giving those to you. It's not about can you do those gifts of the Spirit. It's about how you do those gifts of the Spirit and for whom and what's your motive. Gifts of the Spirit are wonderful, but if they're used inappropriately, they're, they're, they're a resounding gong. He's going to get to that. They're not done in love. They're a waste. Um, and they've been wasted and not used properly. So the spirit-filled church needs to remember why they're using them. It's for others. It's not for themselves. 
Don't think beyond what's written. Don't go beyond what's written. That's just a really good, excellent rule of thumb. If it's not in God's word, I don't have to believe it. You may have experienced it. You may want to tell the world about it. You may even write a book about it, but I don't have to believe it. And I don't have to hold on to it. And I don't have to adopt it into my walk with Christ. I don't go beyond what's written. I stay within it. Oh, you're so limited. You're all boxed in. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think God is big, but I also keeps us within his word. And that's what keeps me from getting off my rocker. I think that's important. Again, now I'm, now I'm self-conscious about it, so I'm going to find a new word other than important. I think that's awesome because that word's never been overused, right? Don't be puffed up. Don't be puffed up. The thing he was talking about last week with Paul and Apollos was that, you know, one person watered, the other person planted. We talked about that a little bit. He says, I've figuratively, I've transferred this over. I've made this, uh, you know, something that um, on us, not on you. I'm not looking at you guys like you're doing it. I'm looking at us. Apollos is different than I am. um, And I want you to look at that. And I can appreciate Apollos just as he is. I I don't blast him for watering. That's what he does. I don't, I don't have high expectations for Apollos. Maybe one day he'll be a planter like I am. And that's hard for us sometimes. We think our ministry is the most important ministry on the face of the earth. And we don't understand why you don't think so. You know, that's what the Corinthian church was struggling with. I speak in tongues. Do you speak in tongues? And that's how they would look at one another at church. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. It's that important. Where does the Bible teach that? Well, I don't know, but I speak in tongues, so therefore I think it's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says it's not. Yeah, but I say it is, and I've experienced it, and you should experience it too, and they just disregard what God's Word says about that gift because they've experienced it. Well, experience is wonderful, and we should have an experiential walk with the Lord by all means, not only in Word, but in deed, and the power of the Holy Spirit and being led, but um, the gifts are given as the Lord sees fit. And equally, and just as important, big toe, eye, ear, fingers, all important in the body of Christ. You don't want to be without any. But you don't want to boast about what you have, thinking it's more important because it's on the face. You know, I'm the eyes of the church. I can see through everybody. Congratulations, you know. You're the big toe. You're hidden by a shoe constantly, and all you do is balance. Big deal, you know. Well, if the big toe wasn't doing his job, you'd be falling on your face. You know, they're all important. They're all very, and he's going to get into that. And so he's trying to carefully lead them in that direction. Look, I appreciate Apollos, and Apollos appreciates me. We appreciate Barnabas now. We appreciate Mark now. We appreciate what they do. We don't expect more. Expectations are a funny thing. I only do what God expects me to do. I'm very careful, and we need to be very leery about what other people expect us to do. Just do what God calls you to do. Very important. Again. Very awesome. For who makes you differ from one another? Well, it's a rhetorical question. God does. And what do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. Everything that I have, God gave me. Now, if you did indeed receive it, and you, they all agree, yeah, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Why do you brag about that stuff? You know, it's not you. It's the Lord. Or it's supposed to be anyway. Where along the line did it become you? didn't come from you. It doesn't source from you. It comes from God. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, 
don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. There. How's that? But take an interest in others too. Now, I've used uh, New Living Translation for those instead of the New King James. And um, I like the way it was worded, though, when I read it. And it's a good translation. So um, it was important. (laughs) I can't stop saying it. It's never going to (laughs) end. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Mm. That's so contrary to the world, though, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to get ahead in the world, you've got to make yourself known. You've got to get yourself out there. You've got to make sure that you're in front. You've got to make sure that you're visible. You can't be invisible. And then we look at God and how he works, and we look at his disciples, and we look at the people he just picked. Christ walking along this earth, sent from heaven, just walked along and ran across Matthew. Matthew never looked for the position. He never looked for the part. Never said, you know, I want to audition for the, being the first book in the Bible. I've got a lot to say, and I think you'd really appreciate my, um, my writing skills. They're very, very good. Very good, Jesus. Here's a sample of my writing. Please let me know what you think. You know, call me. No, he was just doing, you know, he was in, the, he was in a place where you would never want to be found. You know, he was collecting taxes as a Jew from his brethren for the Romans. That's not a good place to be. That's not a great place to be found. I want to be found like, like if Jesus was going to come back, I'd want him to come back like right now. And that'd be great time. Well, it'd be a great time for me and for you because we're all listening. We're in God's, you know, where were you when Jesus came back? I was in church. <laughs> Bam, you know. That's a great place to be found. Matthew, where does Matthew get found? At, at his most humiliating point in life. He'd, he'd probably become so callous to the facial expressions of his brothers and sisters and, uh, you know, being Jews, looking at him going, here's your money, Matthew. Bet you're really proud. Bet you make your mom proud, Matthew, what you're doing there, fleecing us, taking our money for the Romans, you know. He's probably like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to pocket half of it. Go your way. I don't know. I don't know what he was like. I don't know what, what place you have to be in, but that's where he was when he got picked. That's a humble place to be. Or you're a fisherman, maybe James and John, sons of thunder. They were known as that. These boys, sons of Zebedee, James and John, were known as sons of thunder, which means they were the loudest guys on the lake. They're out on the Sea of Galilee, and they always knew where James and John were because there they were, screaming at the top of their lungs, boisterous, you know. And then Peter, Cephas, Cephas, come hold my boat for me, you know. None of these guys auditioned for the part. None of these guys got their name out there. None of these guys had to boast or brag about their abilities or their skills. He just picked them and used them. He picked failed fishermen. Failed fishermen. Those are the ones he picked. Not the ones that came in with the most. He didn't check their nets when they came in. Who's got the best fish? Hey, good catch. You'd be great for the kingdom of God. I could use you to catch men. 
he found guys that came back with empty nets. Hey, you guys look like you need a job. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I could use you in the kingdom of God. Would you guys mind? You know what? It was in their failure. You know what? We're really not good at anything we put our hands on. Great. Because I'm going to take that empty vessel that you are right now and fill you with my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to use you to catch men. You want to catch some men? Okay. You know, follow me. That's all they had to do. There wasn't a whole lot required. Go, you know, just follow me. Matthew, follow me. Dropped his stuff right there and got up and followed Jesus. Hey, you failed fisherman, follow me. <laughs> Notice their dad didn't chase him down. Where are you going? Like, good. I can find someone who can fish now. Take them, because this is not what they're meant to do. They're always yelling and screaming. Perfect. Peter, another failed fisherman. Skeptics, people that didn't believe, people that were hardened and callous to this world, people that thought, you know, you think of Thomas and all these guys that were picked. And beyond that, Paul, Saul, you know, Saul, who's persecuting the church, brilliant man, but got it wrong, got it so wrong. He says, I could use that guy too. And that's who he's talking about. Don't be puffed up like you came up with this on your own. You're a bad fisherman, and you're a tax cheat, and you're a skeptic who didn't even believe Jesus when you saw him. You had to stick your hands in his side. And in his hand, in his, in, took your took your finger in his in his hand and in his side. So don't boast about what you've received. Boast in whom gave it to you. You know. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. See what God does. Verse eight. You are already full. Exclamation point. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. Sarcasm. For I thank God, for I think that God has uh, displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. You know what off-scouring is? That's the bathtub ring that you got to scrub off. We're the off-scouring. We're the parts you have to clean up. We're that gross. That's who we are. Paul making a comparison to those in the church of Corinth who thought they were something. They had got all the riches, and so therefore God's blessings, because we're rich, we've got God's blessing. Um, we're in charge. We have a lot of positions of authority. That's God's blessing because we're that right. You guys, on the other hand, if, I mean, if you were right with God, wouldn't you have more money? 
If you were right with God, wouldn't you have a position of authority? If you were right with God, wouldn't you be distinguished like we are? If you were right with God, wouldn't you be considered one of the wisest people that ever walked the face of the earth like we do? He makes a distinction there. He says, I guess, uh, I guess we apostles, chosen by God, sent by God, that's what the word apostle means, I guess we're not as awesome as you are. We're fools. We're weak. We're dishonored. And the hardest part about stating that, I think, for Paul would have been they were the ones doing it to him, the Corinthian church. This church that was started by Saul, Paul, were now behind his back calling him a fool, calling him weak, and calling him, well, undistinguished, which in turn dishonors him. They're backbiting. Well, he heard about it. That's why he's writing this letter. He'd heard about it. They'd been tattled on. They said, you know, they're saying a lot of things about you, Paul. They're saying some bad things about you. And we don't really feel that way, but most of the church really would rather have you not come back because they found better teachers. They look better. They're more distinguished. They're rich. I mean, there's some proof there that God's with them. You, I mean, you don't have, a, you don't have an address yet, do you? <laughs> Cell number three was the last address he had. Block four. He was in prison. After the event at the uh, the source event that we had up on campus there, a lot of you know, a lot of folks are excited and, and wanted to know, do you have any? Because one of the churches over in Mount City that purchased the painting is is uh, their pastor list right now, um, and so they've been looking for a pastor. I don't think it's been going on for a while, and. Uh, I gave him some names of our guys that would love to probably go do it. I said, but, and I, and I put it pretty clear in the email. I said, we come from a different government background probably than what you're used to. They've been grown up in that. Um, you know, one of the first things that will have to happen when they join your church is all your board's going to have to resign. So I hope that's okay. Um, and then if, and then the, they, he gets to choose the board then. So you get to resign. It's not a bad thing. It's just, we're going to start from scratch, and then and then he'll pick. Maybe ask some of you back. Maybe you won't ask some of you back. I don't know, um, but that'll be his choice. Um, and then you'll be accountable to him. You'll be subordinate to the pastor, as opposed to the pastor being subordinate to the board. There is oversight. They watch for sin. That's what the board does. But they don't. They don't take direction. In other words, they don't set the sails. Basically, um, to let him know that. And then I gave them some scripture so that they can hold on to that, to let them know. You know, here, here's, our, here's Paul's qualifications. If you're on a pastor search committee, you know, he's been in prison several times. <laughs> um, in prison many times. In fact, a lot of the time he spent in prison. Um, he used to kill people that were in the church before he got saved, you know, put them in prison. Um, he's kind of hook-nosed. He's not a very good orator. Just so you know, he's not very smooth. Um, he's ugly. He's short. He's got an eye problem that's kind of offensive when you look at him. You really don't want to look him right in the eye because it's kind of, he's kind of weepy, you know. And he's got a high-pitched, squeaky voice. According to Josephus, he's got a high-pitched, squeaky voice. But he loves God, and he's filled with the Spirit, you know. Those are, that would be his resume. And... Uh, 
and they're good folks over there. I think they're, I think they're good, and I think they understand. They weren't like offended. They were just just letting them know. Um, that's kind of how things roll, or how we roll. You never want your pastor to be an employee. It's not a good thing. Um, it's not good for the sheep. It's not good for the people. So Paul here says, I'm coming. You dishonor me. You think you're smarter than I am, and you think you're stronger than I am. Maybe so. Um, because right now, we're starving to death, and we're thirsty, and we don't have any clothes, and we've been beaten. We're nursing our wounds right now. Most of us are in bandages. Um, we just got out of jail, um, so we don't have a home yet. Uh, we're trying to find a job, and when we do work, um, we just barely get by with the food, um, and we're reviled. But we don't revile in return. We bless. We're being persecuted, but that's okay. We can endure this. We're defamed, um, uh, but we entreat. We still are kind and ministering to those who will have us and who will hear us. Um, we have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. So as far as appearance goes, mm, not something to look at. Matthew 18 verse 4 says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I don't think you can say that enough. I don't think I could remember that enough. I don't think I can uh, take that to heart enough. I need to humble myself as a little child. I need to make sure that that's just natural. Um, sometimes when I'm, when I'm watching all of my kids up until about age eight, um, maybe seven, their humility, I'm not saying they, they get prideful, but, you know, they're aware at that point. Seven and eight-year-olds become aware, and they begin to think abstract, and they're different. But you look at a, any, any kid up to age six, there's a, there's a humility there. There's a softness in their eye. There's a looking at their dad like, yeah, I mean, whatever you say. Whatever you say, that's just great. You bet. Um, whatever you say goes. Um, sorry I did that. I didn't know it was wrong. I mean, there's just all this, there's this humility, and you look at them, and you're like, well, I can't even punish you. You're just too cool, you know? You're too great. You're like, I didn't know that was wrong. I'm sorry. And you know they mean it. You look at them, and you're like, all right, well, step one is the end. I guess I don't have to do step two, three, or four. We're done. You got this, you know? Good for you, buddy. Boy, I wish I was like you. And that's honestly how I feel. You look at these little kids, and you're like, boy, I wish I had listened to my dad like that. I wish when God would tell me something, I'd look at him and say, oh, that's wrong. Good to know. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I want to be that way. And God wants us to be that way. He's looking for sons and daughters that are that fast that don't have to know all the ins and outs and the details of it. They don't have to argue with him about this stuff. He can just look at us and say, boy, I really don't like that. That's going to hurt you someday. Well, all right, good to know. Lately, they've been getting on the ladder and getting on the roof. That's our thing, the garage roof. I know, terrible parent. We, we had to get shots today, shots. I don't know if I told you the story, but you're going to hear it anyway. I come home at 1.30, and I come home, and Mariah's just screaming at the top of her lungs, bawling and crying. And Bo, I can hear him upstairs, and what in the world's happened? Everybody's just, ah, they're just screaming. And I can hear Jenny trying to talk, going, oh my gosh, do I need to call somebody or need to do anything? A Band-Aid, somebody hurt or whatever. And I look at my two teenage daughter, and they're snickering and giggling and laughing. <laughs> Something's wrong here. Something's amiss. And I look at them, and they're like, they have to get shots today. They just got told right before I came home that they have shots today. Oh, man. 
So we go into Dr. Golightly's office, and he's giving the regular, you know, they're trying to figure out whether we beat him senseless or feed him right and all that stuff. Those funny questions. Have you ever, have you gone through that yet? It's a little awkward. So what's your favorite vegetable? Oh, please say a vegetable. Please don't say like Twinkies or something. Please say something right, you know. You like broccoli? No, I hate broccoli, but you've tried it? Yeah, yes. Got a broccoli. Get some good. But then he then he says, So are you naughty? Are you naughty sometimes? Yeah. What happens when you're naughty? We get spankings. <laughs> and we're really bad. They get the wooden spoon. Oh, I'm going to jail, man. I'm going to jail. And I look at him really quick. <laughs> no, no. no, 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 no. Uh, tell him the whole story, son. Fill it in. We don't do that anymore, do we? Because Daddy spanked himself with a wooden spoon, didn't he? Right? I did. I did. Oh, it hurts. We never do that again. I said, "Don't do that." Right? And he's just looking at me, going, "Well, my kid." And of course, Brian was like, "Yep." My dad had a board like this. It said "Board of Education" written right on it. The worst part was going to get it. <sighs> okay. Where am I going with all this? As a kid, they just, they just learn, you know, and they get it, and they're honest, and they're just, boy, you know what's going to come out of their mouth. There's no guile, you know, there's no guile in them. Um, you got to humble yourself like a little kid, and you're going to be great in the kingdom of heaven if you stay teachable like that. And that's one of, one of the things Brian said at the end. He goes, yeah, you know, until you're age three or four, that's about time when spanking stopped because you got it, don't you? And they're like, yeah. Yep, yeah. And Mariah, when was the last time you got a spanking? It's been years. Because you understand. That when your mom and dad say what's right or what's wrong, you believe them and you do it. You don't have to be punished to get them to follow, you know? And as a child of God, I want to be that way with my father in heaven. I want to listen to him. It took some spankings at first me to figure it out. But now I get it. John fifteen twenty. remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. It's an interesting twist at the end there, but the focus here for tonight is if they persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute me. I shouldn't expect anything less. And the idea here, Corinthian church, if we're homeless, if we're starving to death, if we're getting beaten and put in jail, and you think that that's a dishonoring thing and that that means that we don't have favor with God, you don't know your Savior very well. But we do. Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Even Jesus had to tell his guys that. When this happens to you, look up. It's exciting. It's a good thing. All the prophets were murdered. They were all put in prison. They were all looked down upon. And if you're going to follow in your father's footsteps, in my footsteps, in our ministry, you can expect that. And you're in good company. That helps. I want to do it whether I have any company or not as far as following Jesus, but it's nice to know that there have been people before me, so great a cloud of witnesses, that have gone before me, that have been in the same shoes. And it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. 
when people don't understand. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong when they put you in jail or when they look down upon you or talk about you behind your back. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It means more than likely you're doing it right. Of course, the test is whether it lines up with God's word or not, but that's these, these punishments and persecutions um, doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. And he's trying to let him know that. I guess we're fools. I guess we're weak, and I guess we're dishonored. And we're the off-scouring of the world. And this is supposed to bring them to an, a reminder. See, when the Corinthian church first got saved, when they first believed on Jesus, they had that humility. They had it. But something's happened. Someone's come along and taught them that, you know, if you're really following Jesus, you should be prospering. You should have perfect health. Nobody should be sick if you're a follower of Jesus. Nobody should be having hard times or difficulties. That's just not true. And it's mean to teach people things. And Paul's trying to show them, okay, we are the apostles, which is the highest level. That's the highest rank right now. And we're the lowest on the earth. That needs to tell you something. Stop striving to be on the top of this world and start striving to be on the top of God's kingdom. And this is what it looks like. Verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you. (laughs) But you can be ashamed. I'm not doing it to shame you. I'm doing it to change you. I'm doing it because I love you. I'm doing it to warn you. But as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul's very bold here. He's not apologetic for being a leader. He's not apologetic for being a father. He's not apologetic for asking them to imitate him. He's not being prideful. He said, I'm here to warn you the direction you're heading being wise, distinguished, and rich, and rulers is a dangerous path that you're on. To strive for those things, to desire those things, and to think of yourself higher than those who aren't those things is a danger to you in your walk with the Lord. I'm writing these things because you're my beloved children, and I warn you, and that's what any parent wants to do, is to warn their kids. Look, the path that you're on, the most loving thing you can do for anybody that's going astray is to tell them to straighten up and fly right. You're in trouble. You're in danger. The path you're going ends up over a cliff. And there have been many people that have gone over that cliff before you. Be careful. That's what a loving person does. And Paul loves them more than anybody. He's trying to get that across. You've got a lot of instructors that are going to come in and out of your life. That's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. Apollos is one of them. But if they're contradicting me or putting me down, your father in the faith, be careful. Be careful. I'm warning you. Therefore, I've sent Timothy to remind you of all the things that I taught you and teach in every church, and I want you to imitate me. And of course, later on, he says, I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's not saying, I want you to all be Paulites or start a church or a movement that's called the Paulism. Watch out for isms. No, I want you to watch me as 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 I watch Christ. Paul isn't doing anything that Jesus didn't do. Paul is imitating Christ. 
Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus was the off-scouring of the earth. Jesus had to have church outside because there were so many people and because he wasn't welcome in the temple. And every time he did, he flipped tables over when he was there. He wasn't uh, in authority. He wasn't a part of the Sanhedrin. He wasn't even going to be the king that they thought he was going to be or emperor. He was just a guy that died, didn't even have a place to lay his head, didn't have a tomb, died between two thieves. And Paul is following in his footsteps. He understood that. Paul had risen to the pinnacle of leadership in the Jewish religious culture. Being a part of the Sanhedrin was, I mean, that's it. You've done it. And he realized that's all dung. That's all a waste. Imitate me, guys. I've been down that road that you're going, trying to be wise, strong, and distinguished, and rule. It's not where God wants to take us. He wants to take us the other direction. And that's why Jesus would take that child and set him in his midst and say, you've got to be like this one here. They didn't compute with them. They didn't understand that. This is what I teach everywhere in every church. There's a lot of churches out there, and I teach the same thing in every one of them. Verse 18, now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know, not the words of those who are puffed up, but the power, for the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. What do, I, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and in a spirit of gentleness? I smile because he's sending the rod ahead of him. I just thought I'd send this. That'd be great if this was, letter was wrapped in a rod, wouldn't it? Hey, I'm coming. I just wanted to drop ship this rod to you before I got there. Am I going to need to use it? This is the wooden spoon. I mean, <laughs> that we're reading right here. Or is it going to be in fellowship and in love and a spirit of gentleness? Because that's how he wants to come. That's how any dad wants to come home from work. <laughs> Son, hugs. He doesn't want to come home and see his wife going, you need to speak to your son, you know. He's got five check marks. Oh, man. That's not how I wanted to come home. But you know what? What dad does when he gets home is completely up to the kid. It's completely up to the child. As a child of God, I just want fellowship. I just want to hang out. I'm so looking forward to seeing my father in heaven. That's how I want to see him. And that's what Paul's hoping for. Can, can we just get this out of the way before I get there? Because I don't want to waste any time we have together doing that or this. Let's get this done. And then when I get there, man, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's for your protection. In Psalm 68, verses 3 through 6, But let the righteous be glad. Let him rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name. Yah, that's his name. And rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows. Is God in his holy habitation? God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in dry land. That's what God does for us. That's his warning. That's his desire to do. I want to be there. I take care of the fatherless. Are you taking care of the fatherless? Are you watching out for them? Because you aren't fatherless. I'm not fatherless. We have a father in heaven, and he's doing great and wonderful things for us. Now, 
chapter 5 in four minutes. Ready? It really is. Chapter 5 is just a scenario. It's one of the many problems that Paul has to address at this church. It's a glaring example of what he's been talking about. You are a spirit-filled church, but you are a very carnal church. Okay? And here's the example. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such, such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. And here's what it is. That a man has his father's wife, and you are puffed up, and have not rather, uh, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has, done, who, who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus." Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You've got a guy there who's with his mom now. And you are tolerant of it. And you can't be tolerant of that. You can't be tolerant of that. It isn't that the guy's confessed. It isn't that the guy's repented. It's the guy's proudfully having his arm around his mom in church with everybody. And everybody knows it's wrong and against God's will, but they're okay with it. Look how accepting we are. And the Spirit of the Lord still moves. And that's their proof. See, the Holy Spirit's present. He hasn't departed from us, and we've got all this sin going on. I guess God's not too mad about it. Uh, No, that's not what that means at all. God's long-suffering patience has nothing to do with approval. just means he hasn't done anything about it yet. You need to do something about it. And Paul says you can't sit there and let that happen. You've got to do something about this. Now, he's very clear in saying if he's not going to repent... And there's a possibility of that. But if he doesn't, you need to put him out. He needs to be isolated. He needs to be sent away so that his flesh can be destroyed, so that his spirit might be saved. This is church discipline. That's a hard thing to do. I've only had to do it three times. In 15 years, I've had to do this, where I blatantly, the person looked at me and says, I'm not going to stop sinning. I'm going to keep doing it. Okay, well... You can't come back until you repent. I don't do this publicly. I haven't had to anyway. Nobody's ever showed up saying, you told me to leave and I'm not going to. They, they've left. The best one was, it was after a session, a moment. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, you know what God's word says. We've gone over this with you. We explained it. You recognize it as sin. You just aren't going to quit. You've said so. Um, so... God's word tells me that I need to do this. And so, and I hid, I hid behind God's word the whole time. I said, so you see where I'm obligated and I need to do this. You can't come back to church here anymore until you repent. Fine. All right. Well, it was good to know you, I guess. I'm praying for you, you know. He left. Hour and a half later, he calls. 
all it took was an hour and a half. I'm sorry. I was just prideful. I didn't like to be called out like that. I hated it. I know it's wrong. I know God isn't pleased with me. I'm sorry. I repent. Will you forgive me? I don't have to Of course, it's just between you and God, but you got to get this right with God and you got to stop. I do. I do. Can we come back? Yeah, you can come back. Of course you can come back. That's what I've been hoping for, you know? Boy, that was a fast one. The other two haven't come back yet. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes it works and sometimes it won't work because that person doesn't want to repent. And it's hard. It's hard. But you got to do it because you love them. You can't. You can't let your kids do whatever they want to do. You can't. It's mean. Because they're going to end up in a, in a worse place than, you know, your spanking moment. You've got to do what you've got to do for that child. You've got to do. And God's got to do that for me too. And Paul's saying, look, you guys got to do this. It's for the health of your... If you let that person sit there, it looks as if it's okay and it's going to spread. It's going to go to everybody. And if you can't judge that sin, how can you not judge this sin? If you can't judge that sin, how can you... And pretty soon, you've got a church full of tolerance and what you call love when actually it's the meanest place on the block. Because what Christ came to die for and to take us from and to liberate us from and to break our chains from, you've now said isn't sin, is acceptable, and God isn't there. So then Christ didn't need to die. For what sin then did he die for if all that sin's okay? And he died in vain. Now no one needs a savior. Now no one needs Jesus. Now everybody can just have sing-along and community time. And you've now... You're sending people to hell, thinking they're okay. It's a slippery slope, and Paul understood that and says, guys, you've got to get this right. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. He's clarifying something here. It doesn't mean you just pull yourself out of the world because they're yucky and gross and you pull your coat sleeves in. That's what the Pharisees did. Oh, don't touch me, you're a wicked sinner. Oh, don't touch me. No, this is in the church. These are believers. The world doesn't know that they're not supposed to be living together. The world doesn't know that they're not supposed to be doing this, that, or the other thing. That's the world. You've got to be in that. You've got to be around the extortioners. You've got to be around the idolaters. You've got to be around the covetous and the sexually immoral people of the world I'm talking about the church. We're here to correct one another, encourage one another, and spur one another on to good works and to grow. Verse 11, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside, meaning outside the faith? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are, of, are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Wow. I thought he said we're not supposed to judge anybody, but it's pretty clear here. Paul says, no, 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 no. As a brother in the Lord, of course you do. Of course you do. God's word judges. You're just implementing it. Now, before we go much further, before we leave off there, I'm going to give you a 
preview of the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Because they take heed to chapter 5, they actually do what Paul asked them to do. And they kick this guy out of the church because he wouldn't repent. He was still with his mom. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6-9, through nine, the guys repented and Paul says this, This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. That's how it works. Yeah, sorry, kid, it's time for the wooden spoon because your mom told you four times not to do that. You've been told not to do that. You've been told. You looked her right in the face and you did it anyway. And so it's time for this. And it's going to hurt, and it's going to be painful, and I'm sorry, but it's got to happen. And then when you're done, you hold that kid, and you talk to that kid, and you reaffirm your love to that kid, and you let him know, look, I didn't want to do that either. And I'm not going to say it hurt me more than it did you, because I know it didn't. <laughs> but that had to happen because I love you. Because here's what happens if I don't do this. Here's what happens if we don't correct you, if we don't stop you from the direction you're headed. You're going to end up here. And the truth has to be told and has to be followed through on. But by all means, don't leave them in that place of despair, <clears throat> in that broken humility that they're in right then. You grab them and say, but you're love with an everlasting love, and I did this out of love. God chastens those whom he loves. That's how we know her as kids. Nobody else can do it. But the idea is the same heart that I have towards my kids. Yes, by all means, I'll handle it. Um, but you don't, you don't touch my kids at all. Our father's the same way. He will handle me. He will talk to me. If you have a problem with me or if you have a problem with another brother or sister in the Lord, you don't deal with it. That's what I keep having to tell my kids. We've got six of them. Look, you're not the third parent in the house. Tell me about it. We'll deal with it as parents. We'll take care of it. But you're not the third parent. Mom and I will do this. Our Father in heaven has big ears, and he loves to hear from us. And we take our petitions to him um, through our prayer life, and we talk to him about it, and he'll deal with his kids, and God deals with me, and he'll deal with you, and we trust him in that. It's such a great way to have a family of God is to let him do what he needs to do correctively. And he always does it right. He doesn't do it out of spite. He doesn't do it because he's been wronged. He does it because it's best for us. Whereas if I do it, it comes across as prideful or whatever. Anyway, that's where we close tonight. Let's pray and a couple more songs maybe. Wonderful. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for your time that we've had, um, that you've drawn near to us as we draw near to you and your word. And we thank you for that, God. Lord, we want to be good kids. We don't want to be boastful about the gifts you've given us or abilities, God. We don't want to think of ourselves higher than we think of others. We want to consider them more important than ourselves. We want to live our lives that way. We want to use the gifts of the Spirit to build other people up, not to toot our own horn. Um, uh, we just want to be good kids of yours, humble in your sight, um, teachable, trainable. Um, and so, God, we thank you for your word. As Paul wasn't writing to us, it's very easy for us, I think, as brothers and sisters in the Lord to hear how you correct our siblings and learn from their mistakes. God, help us to learn from others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.